Comms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. This week, we'll be talking to the CEO of NBNCO, Stephen Rue, about a, by anyone's standards, a stellar set of half of the yearly results. And he'll be talking us through some of the challenges and developments in that business. But first up, there's some breaking news as this podcast gets put to press, so to speak. Um, Optus has uh, scored what by anyone's standards is the hiring crew of the year, appointing the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian to a managing director role in the company. What do you think about it, Simon? It's uh, quite a strong move, uh, Graham. It's certainly going to send a message out uh, to the organisation. She's going to be very well connected in terms of the CEO boardrooms around the country. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out and also uh, what Optus do with uh, the Enterprise Division, obviously, because of their NCS links. And they've really been boosting up the numbers uh, in Melbourne and Sydney as well. So uh, definitely one to watch. Yeah, and just to clarify that, I didn't actually say what her position title was. She's going to be the Managing Director of Enterprise, Business and Institutional. And I also understand that that includes the wholesale business as well as part of her remit. Anyway, on the topic of Optus, um, they did some very interesting things in the mobile area this week. Tell us about it, Simon. That's right. Slightly more mundane, but uh, we are talking 5G and uh, Optus's uh, network rollout. And uh, they've essentially joined Telstra and TBG in rolling out multiband radio units across their network. Uh, they've got their first one up in Macquarie Park. Now, the interesting thing with these things, uh, uh, Optus have uh, gone for Ericsson's tri-band radio. Uh, and what that means is uh, you can imagine the uh, radio units as you're driving down uh, your typical uh, highway you see those huge Christmas trees full of lots of antennas and radio units hanging underneath them. They're going to disappear a little bit and get a lot smaller just because of the fact that what they're doing is they're managing to get uh, multiple support for multiple bands in much smaller footprints. So what that means for all three of the operators is that they're going to have uh, a, a much less cost in what they're doing in terms of rolling out on their, their towers because obviously... Uh, the uh, people that are uh, in the tower business are charging rental for uh, space on the back of that. And also when they're rolling out their network, as they upgrade, they can support both 4G and 5G uh, with these uh, multiband units, which obviously uh, stops them having to put five, six, seven, eight radios all on the single tower. So they don't have to go out and uh, strengthen some of these towers just to take the weight of all of this stuff. So that's getting cut right down. I mean, I think from memory... Uh, one of the uh, radio units I was looking at was something like 17 kilos, which is, uh, you know, much smaller than uh, they ever used to be. So uh, essentially what uh, they're doing, the uh, actual uh, Ericsson uh, radio that they're looking at will support their 1800, 2100 and 2600 megahertz. And uh, it's quite a uh, move for Optus because uh, obviously you've got to densify your networks with 5G. Uh, there's going to be a lot of small cells as well. So uh, they mentioned that they were the first in uh, Asia Pac to do this, but it's, it's not quite true because uh, TPG uh, has already done this with uh, Nokia. And uh, obviously, uh, Telstra went with Ericsson, another radio, the uh, 4480, which actually supports five radio access technologies. And the way Telstra is going to be uh, doing it is supporting 3G, 4G, 5G, and the IoT uh, technologies as well uh, through a single radio. So you're going to see the operators doing this, and it's going to be very interesting for their capex going forward. 
Okay, well, moving on, in, in the cloud sector, uh, our homegrown international success story, Megaport, um, had another half of stellar results this week. Tell us about it. Very much so. And uh, Megaport essentially uh, uh, sprung out of uh, their init initial business model was uh, building on-ramps for cloud. Uh, absolutely Australian-born, but a global business. And it was fascinating uh, to hear the uh, CEO, Vincent English, uh, talking about the fact that North America now represents 52% of their revenue. And they hit a bit of a milestone. They mentioned that uh, their monthly uh, recurring revenue is now $9.2 million. So you annualize that, then you're looking at $110 million of recurring revenue, which is, uh, you know, a pretty good uh, return there and uh, suggesting that they will break even within six months. Now, Network as, as a Service is, is quite a... Uh, complex area to be in because obviously you are solving the complexity of big corporate networks. Uh, obviously, we're in a big shift away from MPLS and onto SD-WAN and direct internet access. So this cloud connectivity is really, really important. And there are two key services uh, that uh, Megaport are going to really uh, grow. And if we watch what happens with those, I think we're going to see a real uptick in their revenue. Now, um, they've got two big competitors uh, uh, in this space. Equinix uh, obviously has their fabric and a company called Packet Fabric as well. But uh, the thing is that uh, all three of these uh, companies are gonna benefit from the real shift towards multi-cloud and uh, enterprise uh, complexity and just taking some of that out, essentially. So if you look, uh, their um, customers have jumped up to slightly under 2,500, so it's up 7%. The total number of services they're selling is just short of 25,000. And that's quite important because they were talking about uh, a couple of these uh, uh, slightly newer services, the Megaport Cloud Router, which of course allows people to uh, spin up and provision and control uh, virtual routers anywhere in the world on uh, uh, the Megaport's network uh, via a web-based portal. Now, the interesting thing with that is that um, only 13% of their uh, current customer base actually have at least one MCR service, uh, but they're finding that the revenue per customer uh, when they're on their MCR service is uh, almost double uh, what it is for uh, just taking ports only. So you can imagine that it's, it's, it's a sticky product once you get onto that, uh, because you've handed a lot of that complexity over to uh, Megaport, then uh, you know you've got to build through, and uh, you know it's going to be a big revenue opportunity there potentially. And you ex extend that further to its most recent uh, uh, service, which essentially is uh, Megaport Virtual Edge. And essentially, what that is is takes Megaport's network out into office branches using SD WAN. Now, the the beauty of this is the fact is that they've signed up all seven major manufacturers or vendors of uh, SD-WAN kit. So when an enterprise turns up and has a chat to Megaport about it, uh, they are able to not necessarily face vendor lock-in on this. You know, you might want to be a bit more virtual and go VMware's uh, solution, or you could go uh, Cisco or one of the others. And uh, so with that one as well, uh, Vincent English was talking about the fact that uh, the revenue for that on the customers that they have for that nearly quadruples to $11,100 per month. And uh, so you can see 
that's going to be a potential really big growth for them. Uh, Vincent said that uh, there's a key focus on Europe for the next six months. Uh, uh, it's uh, going to grow uh, quite significantly there, so they're putting a lot of emphasis into that. Their costs were up a little bit for the half uh, uh, because obviously they're recruiting more people. Um, but uh, it's looking pretty good and their channel uh, strategy seems to be taking shape as well. Uh, they've got a couple of big uh, channel partners now and uh, going great guns on that side. Okay, terrific stuff. Thanks very much for joining us today, Simon. No worries. Thanks, Graham. Well, moving on, NB Inco recorded uh, or reported uh, very good half yearly results. So basically, two and a half billion of revenue and one and a half billion of EBITDA. That means that on an annualized run rate, they're a $5 billion revenue company and a $3 billion EBITDA company now, which puts them in a very good place for the future. So I had a chat with CEO Stephen Rue, and I asked him, first of all, about their moves in the last half to pay down roughly about a third of the debt they owe to government. So basically nearly $6 billion of, of over $19 billion originally lent. Um, and they're getting to the point now where in the next half or so, uh, they may well completely pay off their government debt and, and be privately funded. So I, I asked Stephen to talk me through that. Yeah, I think there's an understanding in the global markets of um, the importance of long-term infrastructure assets, and particularly one like NBN, which is clearly so important to the economy and, in fact, the fabric of Australia going forward. And the the financial markets can see the trajectory of the company in terms of growth of revenue, growth of subscribers, you know, the management of, of, of operating and, and capital expenditure. And I think it's a, it's a vote of confidence in, in the company and its performance, but also, as I said, in the, in the importance of infrastructure assets. Now, you also talked about um, the negotiations regarding the special access undertaking. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems that NB Inco has made a lot of concessions to to the commentary coming from RSPs and consumer groups and the regulator. Um, but you did mention today that you have an expectation that NBN should be entitled to recover its ICRA, its outstanding losses from previous years. There is a little bit of pushback against that um, from some of the people in this debate. So is, is that a, a line for you that you, know, you draw the line on that, that you should be entitled to recover those outstanding um, losses, and you, you would not let that line be crossed in negotiations. I, I think, Graham, that as I said on the call today, all infrastructure companies invest upfront, and we had significant upfront costs in terms of a capital expenditure to build the network, subscriber costs as well, and clearly operating losses that led to the build-up of the ICRA. I mean, it was always intended that the ICRA would be recovered over time. And, you know, our proposal, again, doesn't change, um, uh, you know, the, the principle of the ICRA being recovered over time. Yeah, okay, so the, you, you hold to that principle and um, hopefully that will not be an obstacle to a successful completion of the SAU negotiations. Is, is that the message? 
I, I mean, our, our message in, in this, Graham, is that we're trying to balance, you know, many things. We're trying to balance the industry and ACCC feedback. Um, but we do need a business that's sustainable. We do need to be able to service, pay down debt. We do need to invest in the network. Um, we do need to deliver upon our statement of expectations to the government as well. Um, and that, But at the same time, we recognise that there are adjustments that the ACCC would like in some of the regulatory framework, and we, we also recognise that there are uh, requests from the industry to, uh, to adjust some of our pricing. And, and that's why we've gone to the ABC only on 100. That's why we've we talk about utilising data, not utilised data, not provision data, that we'll do a half-yearly review on actual data, and also why we position the 25.5 as the entry-level product and introduce a voice-only product. So all of these things are, are balancing, um, you know, the, what, what is needed from our business as well as responding to industry in the ACCC. Okay. Now, now on, on that topic, um, in terms of the residential market, you just mentioned some of those changes you're proposing there. The, the big story to me of these results is how the, the 50 megabits product, you know, at around the $45 price has now become the mainstay, mainstay product of the range, you know, over, over, well over half of yeah. the user base are on that product. Now, noticeably, NBN has had a bit of difficulty making those higher 100 meg speeds stick in the marketplace, you know, despite all the price promotions and so on. What is NBN's plan um, henceforth to get more traction at that 100 meg plus uh, area? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think, Graham, as a, as a general point, data growth will continue into the future. And um, we've seen, I mean, you know, there's been consistent, you know, you know mid-20s, um, growth in data on an annual basis for a very long time. And there's no reason why data growth won't continue in the future. Um, and that in itself will lead to the demand for higher speed tiers, which is why we started the um, the upgrade program of um, both the HFC network, which is almost complete now, and the, um, you know, we're making great progress in the FTT in areas where we're building at fibre and street and enable people to buy higher speed tiers. Um, clearly, um, the 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 demand from consumers for higher speed tiers will grow over time. There's no doubt. Um, and, and equally, I'm sure that the industry, from a from a marketing and a product point of view, will also seek to meet the the needs of community. But I've got no doubt, Graham, that over time, uh, the need for people to um, you know, the need for many people to have higher speeds than 50 megabits per second will grow and we'll see movements onto higher speed tiers. It's not long ago when we didn't have a substantial number of customers on 50 megabits per second, and now, now you can see that move over the last three to four years. Um, so I think that, you know, we'll see a similar move over the next few years onto 100 megs and above. Okay. Well, what, one of the, obviously, the big things that you're doing to facilitate that market transition is the investment in fiber. And um, you've, you've got yeah. HFC and, and fiber to the curb transitioned across to gigabit. And obviously, you're working on the fiber to the node um, yeah. side of the network as well. What will MBN doing specifically to incent retailers to aggressively take advantage of that opportunity? Yeah, well, I think, Graham, we're in, at the end of this month, we're, at the end of next month, sorry, we will be, um, you know, enabling around about 50,000 homes to um, have a 
that the ability to order 100 megabits per second or above and, uh, and upgrade their service onto a poverty-on-premise service. service. Um, and I, uh, there is no doubt that over the next while we will, we and the industry will deliver, but as we'll develop marketing um, uh, to ensure that people are aware of the service that they can, can, uh, you know, that they can get. And I think, you know, we will see the demand actually quite significant for that service. Okay. Now, the, the, the other market that's gone gangbusters, it seems, is business. Um, I remember yep. back in 2018, um, it was predicted that MBN would, would be doing a billion dollars of business revenues by 2022. And here we are, and for the first half, just a little under 500 million. But um, across the financial year, at the present growth rates, it looks like you'll easily beat a billion. Um, so can you take me through what, particularly the 20% plus growth um, this half, can you take me through what some of the drivers are there right now? And, and also, do you feel vindicated that you got that prediction right four years ago? Well, we're very, we're very pleased with the growth in business revenue, Graham. The, the, but what we're seeing is uh, a growth of businesses onto NBN networks, so growth of subscribers. We're also seeing a demand for higher speeds. Um, on our on our TC4 product, but also the demand for enterprise Ethernet. In fact, we've just we've just passed 10,000 services on enterprise Ethernet. Um, we've also been making good progress in business satellite sales as well. And so, the, I think this is just symptomatic of the fact that the economy continues to digitise businesses all around Australia are building out digital services to uh, digital capability to enable them to. Um, you know, market their products, sell their products online, and also to create efficiencies within their own business. And also, there's an, the explosion of you know video that that businesses are using as well is leading to a higher demand for bandwidth. And and all of that um, augurs well for yes, NBN's revenues, but also for the contribution that we are making as we were always set up originally to do, and and that is particularly in the small and medium business sector to help stimulate that sector and keep business business strong in Australia. You would have noticed, of course, over the last few months, the um, various announcements about new national fibre trunk networks and subcables, you know, Hyper One, Telstra, Indigo Networks, there's a, there's a whole raft of them out there. What impact, if any, will that have on NBN as those networks roll out? Oh, Graham, I think this just shows what I've been saying for many years, and that is that the uh, the digitization of and the, uh, the, of the economy and, and and indeed society and the need for ongoing investment in in uh, bandwidth is is just continuing and you know the, you didn't mention 5g i mean there's also investment in 5g and we've got our own investments and i think this just shows that over the next decade we're going to see big ongoing big changes in in how people live how they work um, how they educate, how they, um, you know, have medical, uh, their, their medical needs met, and uh, and there's going to be ongoing need for bandwidth. So for us, I think this augurs well for our business as an infrastructure business, being the digital backbone of the nation and being being this service that enables people to live and work and operate from anywhere, um, and also to run existing new businesses and make their businesses more efficient. So I think all of this just augurs well 
Brandy Ann as a critical piece of infrastructure for the nation. Uh, you've, you've got the company to a point where now on an annualised basis, it's, it's a $5 billion revenue company, um, $3 billion EBITDA. Where to from here? Where, where do you see the drivers for growth going through the next three to five years? The ongoing um, need for people um, to have higher speeds in their, you know, in their business and in their residential premise, I think, will lead to people moving onto higher speed tiers over time. The 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 need for business to continue to digitise their business will lead to ongoing um, uh, business uh, revenues as well. We're seeing big changes in subscription television, for example. Um, you know, um, streaming services more generally, and I think that's going to again uh, see people and you know have a higher demand for bandwidth. Um, so, from a revenue point of view, uh, we're set up extremely strongly for um, the decade, and, and as the digital backbone of the nation. Now, moving on, um, still talking about MBN, mind you, with Rowan Pearce, the executive editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Now, um, of course, we had the, as we've just discussed, the uh, NBN half yearly results this week, but also they announced a whole range of new rebates for RSPs. Talk us through it, Rowan. Yeah, so quite interesting. They're launching basically four new campaigns around the themes of step up and light up. So it's the usual model of uh, monthly rebates for RSPs. But quite interesting. So step up is focused really on shifting end users onto higher speed tiers. But in this case, whereas previously we've seen an effort to get people onto the kind of like, you know, 100 megabit and ultra fast tiers, this is very much focused on getting people off the kind of entry level uh, 12 megabit services uh, onto fast products, particularly 5020. I mean, there are other rebates for like, you know, moving the people on 25.5 services up um, and also for upgrading some of the faster plans. But the kind of the big rebate on offer is for getting 12 megabit services onto 50 megabit services. And so uh, the company has basically said, well, you know, COVID-19, more people working from home means that people might not have the kind of right service for their needs. Um, I think what's interesting too, though, is that historically NBN's actually been pretty dismissive of the 12 megabit um, tier. I, I have a vague memory. I think it was Bill Morrow described it as not really broadband at one point. Um, so that's the kind of first step up campaign. The second one is going to be focused around 140. Um, they haven't actually released the details of that, but uh, I understand it's about like you know people who may have more upload needs now because they're working from home. And then finally, the two light up campaigns are basically around getting people who you know, don't have services yet or haven't had services for a while and getting them to activate services. Okay. Um, now, um, Paul Fletcher, the minister, uh, released uh, uh, his new thoughts on media policy this week, and it has some implications for Radio Spectrum. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this was um, obviously always exciting to get a new new policy statement so this is really uh, in relation to the kind of 2020 media reform green paper process that had this, I, this had this suggestion in it that maybe TV broadcasters um, could be give up some of their spectrum by being a bit more efficient and then in return they'll get regulatory relief and some tax cuts. Um, that would then potentially allow a second digital dividend, which would mean you know telcos could get their hands on up to 84 megahertz of spectrum in the 600 megahertz band, which is obviously a great 
great ban from their perspective. So originally the government was like, you know, looking, you know, it was a very tentative idea. They were looking at a mid kind of 2020s timeframe for potentially refarming that band. But broadcasters in response to that have said, well, it's not clear what's going to happen with the technology in Australia. We don't really have a roadmap. So that's kind of, um, you know, the media policy statement has now, I guess, kicked the can on that down the road a bit and said, well, what we're going to do is we'll set up a working group, we'll work through all these issues, and then out of that, potentially, there will be this roadmap for a second digital dividend. Obviously, um, you know, uh, I spoke to Amter who said they're not happy because they do want that kind of definite timeline. Um, Okay, well, in- interesting stuff. And, you know, as, as always with Spectrum, it just drags on and on. Thanks very much for joining us, Ryan. Cheers. That's it for Commerce Day Live this week. See you next time. Just-